tonight, Job. I need you to go to Job chapter 9 and verse 22. We're continuing in Job 9. Am I on or not? What's wrong? Oh, yeah, if John was here, I was actually going to teach a new song, but I'll teach that maybe next week. Come on. All right. Job chapter 9. Go to verse 22. Stand with me. We will read verse 22 together. This is Job. Job's got some troubled theology. And uh, the only reason why I can I look at it and go, hmm, that's not so true, is because I have a completed Bible. And believe me, uh, that's, the, that's the power of a Bible-believing church, that everybody has a Bible and they can check out what the speaker's saying and go, that's not what the Bible says. So we're going to look at Job. We're going to see he's struggling with his own theology. And we're going to test our, ourselves and go, what do we know? And, and try to uh, understand the God of Job like maybe we've never seen before. So let's read Job just one verse, chapter 9, verse 22 together. This is one thing, therefore I said it, he destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. Let's pray. Father, again, we, uh, Lord, we, we, we throw our hands up. We realize Job is struggling through a, a storm that we have never experienced. There's only one person in all of history who experienced more trouble than Job, and that was Jesus. So when we're looking at Job, we're looking at probably the best that a human could ever struggle through. And he failed, and he faltered, and he Wanted to die. He wanted to quit. He had real troubles with trying to understand just what you were doing and who you were, you who you are. And Lord, I can relate to that. I uh, and I thank you for what we're going to learn tonight. I pray that you would open our eyes to our own weaknesses and our own wrong conclusions that we make about you from our circumstances instead of from the scriptures. So bless our study tonight. Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. Job's listened to two of his friends. He's got one more. He's going to chime in on this thing. Uh, and so Eliphaz and Bildad have been hammering Job. And Job is showing you that when the, when the devil is throwing loads of confusion at you, you need to have some truth. That's why the first thing it starts off there in 2 Corinthians 9 uh, uh, or 6, 7, it says, by the word of truth, so when you get confusion thrown at you, you need to be able to work through that and go, no, 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 thus saith the Lord. Martin Luther was constantly hunted and was the, the, uh, the, the Pope and, and many people tried to kill him. They, 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 uh, uh, twisted his words. And when they had him in court, they would say, Martin, what do you say? Martin, what is your opinion? And he would say, I don't care what I think. What saith the scripture? And so, that's what drove him, and that's what ought to drive us. Uh, so in, in, in chapters 9 and 10 of Job, he's going to try to express how he understands God. Eliphaz and uh, uh, Bildad have tried to say, this is what God is like. And so Job's saying, well, not, a, not as far as I understand. And he doesn't have it all figured out. Now, somebody tell me why Job had trouble trying to understand theology, understand what God is like. 
He didn't have a finished Bible. As a matter of fact, I don't think he had a single page of the Bible. That is actually the oldest book in the Bible. Job is living about the same time as Abraham, and Abraham is about five to six hundred years before Moses writes Genesis. So, Job, is he's actually, don't even realize, he's blazing the trail. He's going to set the pace with Scripture. And he's struggling. Not that he's ignorant. Everybody knew about Noah's flood. That was only about five or six hundred years earlier. So everybody knew about that. And everybody knew about creation. The whole world was passing on oral traditions and even written um, uh, history. But Job is struggling because he doesn't have the pages of the Bible. Do you realize just up until, let's say, 400 years ago, nobody had a Bible? If anybody had a Bible, it was, uh, it was at a, at a religious house, uh, at a church, or it was down at the synagogue, uh, for the Old Testament, but the Bibles were chained to the pulpits. Now, one of the reasons why that, because people were stealing them. <laughs> so, they, and they were, they were up there, but nobody could afford a Bible. And yet you have it on your phone. And it's a free app. It's amazing. So, uh, don't take it for granted. So the only way that I can ever say that Job doesn't have it all figured out is because I have a completed revelation from God. I can actually read on and go, wow, okay, Job, let me help you. So let's let the scripture straighten out not only Job's confusion, but let's let it straighten out ours because that's why God's letting us see this, that the struggles that he has are the struggles that men and women Teenagers still have today. And the reason why they have struggles is because they don't know the truth. If you know what God says about your body, about your design, about your purpose, if you know what God says about your soul, if you know what God says about marriage and about um, uh, uh, about work, and all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, I know how to live. I know how to deal with this thing. So, <clears throat> last time when we looked at John, uh, Job chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, Job asks, how can anyone be right with God? It's a good question. He then describes what only God can do, and he lists some of the most marvelous things. He says that God uh, moves mountains and removes mountains. God shakes the earth um, down to the pillars. Uh, God can command the sun not to rise. Keep it dark. He spreads out the vast expanse called heaven. He makes new stars and constellations. He does great wonders and miracles. And the truth is, so far, God has a great grasp on what's called observable truth. That's what science is all about. Looking, testing, and understanding what we see, and we see things going on. Science doesn't think mystically. Science says, this is what we see, this is what we can repeat. So Job's got a a grasp on science. But science cannot fix the human problem of suffering. I know that they come up with drugs to try to ease suffering. I know that they try to understand the human mind, but but rarely do people get real help outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what you'll find missing in the book of Job here and for a long time is that Job has no idea about God restoring and repairing and healing. Job doesn't sit back and go, God's going to make all things work together for good. Job doesn't know that yet. Job is just waiting to die. So, we're going to try to fill in these gaps and try to go, 
I'm glad I'm not there because I would have quit a long time ago. So let's look at um, uh, Job chapter 9, verses 13 to 16, and Job begins to ask another question. Job 9, verse 13. Actually, he's going to ask three questions. He says, if God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him as if to help him attack. Verse 14, how much less shall I answer God back and choose out my words to reason with him? Whom, verse 15, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. If I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not, would I not believe that he actually had hearkened unto my voice? In simple words, Job asks, what am I to do with God's anger against me? Which is a great question. Uh, you know, God does get angry. And Job is saying, you know, it seems like God is very angry at me. And how do, how do I turn it away? Um, as a matter of fact, um, when, when, when Jesus was on the cross, what did the Pharisees say when they were circling that cross? They said, he, he claimed, uh, that God was for him. Well, let, let God save him if, 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 if God will have him. They're mocking a righteous man. And when you're in trouble, when you're, when you're going through a disaster, and it seems like God is judging you, guess who will show up? Pharisees will show up and start pointing the finger. And the proud will come along and try to help God hurt you more. So Job is just saying, you know, God, what am I supposed to do when you're angry at me? Secondly, he says, what am I supposed to do with all of your reasonings? In verse 14 and 15 there, he says, how much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with God? Can anybody actually go head-to-head, toe-to-toe with God's way of thinking? There's no way. And Job is throwing up his hand saying, how could I ever reason with God? I could, I would have no answers for him if he ever asked me anything. As a matter of fact, Job is implying, I only have questions. I don't have answers. And then he says a third thing. He says, what am I to do with God's attention if if he ever gave it to me? Look there at verse 16. He says something really sad. He said, if I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. I don't think that God would ever pay attention to me. Do you know what God's doing right at that moment? When Job is saying... I, I, God will never listen to my voice. You know what God was doing? God was listening to his voice. And he was writing down what Job was saying in a book that we're reading 4,000 years later. So Job didn't, he said, God would, what, you know, what would I do if ever God ever paid attention to me? Because I wouldn't believe that he would ever be paying attention to me. So he is, as we already understand, is struggling. Now, uh, he then looks, he says, look at what God has done to me. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause, without a reason. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with what? He fills me with bitterness. If I speak of strength, lo, <laughs> he is strong. And if I speak of judgment, 
Who shall set me a time to plead? When will I be able to make my plea? If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say, hey, I'm perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. This one thing, therefore, this is one thing. That's my alarm. (laughs) This one thing, it was on silent, but my alarm still goes on. Uh, verse uh, 22, this is one thing, therefore I said it, he destroyed, oh, I went too far, let me just start for verse 21. Uh, Though I were perfect, yet I would not know my soul, I would despise my life. In simple words, Job wants everyone to see the horrors of what has happened to him. He's already talked about, look at all that God does with creation. I mean, he's he does marvelous things, he does great things with, with the universe, but look at what he's done to me. And he can only describe trouble. He says, God is constantly breaking me. you got to think, have there been in times in your Christian life where God just seemed to be against you and he just wouldn't, wouldn't give you liberty, just wouldn't, wouldn't bless you? You just felt like, why is God against me? Well, that was how Job felt. Um, he says, God is wounding me. He's hurting me. He's multiplying the wounds. He's choking me so that I can't even breathe. And he's filling me with bitterness. Now, I don't know if you understand the pattern of bitterness. Nobody starts off bitter. Do you know that? Nobody starts off bitter. Bitterness is a reaction to unresolved anger. All right? So if you ever find yourself angry and you just stay angry and it just never gets resolved, never gets fixed, you'll end up what? Bitter. But you know, anger is a process. Anger is a reaction to unresolved frustration. I know some people say frustration and anger are the same. They're not. Anger is unresolved frustration. So when you are frustrated at things, when things just aren't coming together and you get frustrated, if you don't put that frustration away, it will become anger. And when you don't put anger away, it will become bitterness. Because frustration is a reaction to unresolved questions and problems in life. Okay? Follow me. I get to where I start questioning why. Where is God? And if I don't get any answers, those questions unresolved will become a frustration in my Christian life. They will become It'd be like sitting in church and all you hear is sandpaper rubbing. You don't hear ants, or you hear joy, you hear, it's just not helping. So questions unanswered become frustration. Frustration, when it's not dealt with and when it's not resolved, it becomes anger. And anger, when it's not resolved, it becomes bitterness. And there's no step after bitterness, folks. Bitterness is a curse. Bitterness is almost, the, the root of bitterness begins with that, that unanswered questions. That's why God gave us a Bible. That's why God gave us reasoning so that we can find some answers. But if I don't start, the, if I'm not a student of the Bible, I'm going to be obsessed and overwhelmed with questions that I can't get answers to. Does that make sense? So now you understand why most people are angry at God. 
in their bitter religion because they never got answers. They needed answers and they didn't get them. So, now, I'm going to be real plain. Who is Job blaming? God for his bitterness. He's blaming God that God is choking me. He's blaming God for wounding him. Who's actually hurt him? Who's actually been behind the scenes just breaking him? The devil. Um, he basically says, God is defeating me. Now, there in verse 19, he tells us, uh, he, he accepts all this. He says, I know this is all God. Verse 19, he says, because God is strong. If I talk of strength, God's the one who's strong. He's omnipotent, okay? Who can resist him? He says, God is the judge. So he's, he's come to the conclusion, I can't blame anybody but God because he's the one in charge. He's the one that judges. And if I ever try to make myself innocent, if I ever try to be perfect, I only make myself to be wrong and sinful. And God exposes my blind spots. I love this in verse 21. He says, though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul. I, I, I would know me if I did do everything perfect like the Pharisees did. I wouldn't see my own sins. So he says, all God ever does is expose my blind spots. So he says, this is God's doing. Let's keep going. Verse 22, Job makes some strong and wrong conclusions about God. Look in verse 22. And we'll see how far we get. Yes. This is one thing, therefore I said it. Point number one, he destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge say slay suddenly, he, God, will laugh at the trial of the who? God will laugh when an innocent person who did nothing wrong, this is what he's saying, and when they get judged and they get um, hurt. Verse 24, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. The earth is owned by wicked people. You know, there are a lot of people who think that the world is run by men. No. This world belongs to the God of this world in a way. It's not people. It's the principalities. It's the powers of darkness. But it's even, there's, there's something we're going to learn in just a moment. Job just says the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces. God covers the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? If God is not covering so that judges don't know what's really going on, then what is God doing? Verse 25. Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away and they see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hastens to the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I'll just ignore it. I'll just forget all about it. I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. It goes on, verse 28. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent, speaking to God. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shall thou plunge me in the ditch. You just throw me away in the ditch, he says about God. And mine own clothes, what I wear, will abhor me. He's actually saying they will, they will stink. 
For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and he should come together and, and, and we should come together in judgment. We're not equals. Neither is there any daysman. Now circle that word. Anybody know what a daysman is? A daysman. A mediator. Thank you. What does he say? Neither is there any mediator betwixt me and God that might lay his hand on us both and say, now, now, let's see if we can work this thing out. Verse 34, let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. Now, what are you looking at? Some of the deepest words ever written. And when do you, when do you really learn the deep things of God? In the valley. In the hard times. So, Job has to make some conclusions about God. Number one, he concludes that God destroys both the perfect and the wicked. He says God laughs when innocents are hurt. What is he judging all this on? His experience. See, if you didn't have a Bible, would you think God was a good God if you heard about how many people dying over in that tsunami? Were there 300,000 who died back there at Christmas in 2011? Remember that? And if you heard about, I don't know, am I right? Was there 300,000 people who disappeared? It was a phenomenal number. Would you think that God is a good God to let that happen? If you didn't have a Bible, it would affect your theology, right? So he goes on, he says, God laughs when innocents are hurt. The world seems to belong to wicked men. He says, there's no one to go to to intervene for me. He says, my days are swift and they're evil. Hmm. If I try and just forget what happened and try to cover myself, I know God will just prove me guilty anyway. (laughs) I obviously have worked hard at doing right for nothing. No matter what I do, I'm just cast aside into the ditch. That's how he feels. God is not my equal. and I have no daysman or no mediator to help me. And number 11, I have only fear towards God. That's how he has concluded God. Is that a good way to look at God, yes or no? Boy, how long are you going to stay following God if that's your God? So Job is letting his circumstance, his experience... Tell him what to believe. So let's make some biblical corrections. I need you to hold your place here. I want to show you something about this. Uh, go to Second Second Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. In verse 16. <clears throat> Why did God give us a Bible? 2 Timothy 3.16. I get, I'll get Mr. Bill, if you would mind reading 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay. So God gave us a Bible and it's profitable, it's beneficial for, what's the first thing? Okay. So the first one is uh, for doctrine, what is right? For reproof. That's what's not right for, what's the third one? The Bible was written to correct me. Because I get all kinds of crazy ideas about God. So the Bible was written for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Okay, back to Job. Let's make some biblical 
corrections of Job's theology. First of all, he says something. He says, God destroys the perfect man as well as the wicked. Is that true or false? Well, we all die. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say this. God doesn't destroy uh, the perfect, uh, but sin does. I'm going to say that that's false because when you look at things and you see bad things happen to good people and you know people who are wicked, they seem to be fine until they, they die or so. You try to judge, I know this. There's none righteous, no, not one, and sin brings forth death. And so when judgment comes, it's because of sin. It's not just because God is just saying, I just don't like anybody. Because that's what Job feels like. He feels like, God, you just seem to just destroy everybody. No, sin is what is our problem. God is not our problem. Does that make sense? Job has the wrong focus. He's trying to say, God, you're destroying. No, no, no. If I... Ruin my life. If, if, if my life gets ruined, it'll be because sin. Not because God just says, I just don't like Craig today. Okay? So, we're teasing out some of this stuff. Second thing that's important. God laughs when innocents are hurt. Is that true or false? It's very false. Now, you have to read Proverbs chapter 1, and you do learn that God does laugh. And he laughs at people, but he says he laughs at those who laughed at him. He laughs at those who he has extended his arms out to and he's tried to help and they pushed him away. So when their calamity comes and when they fall and they drop into hell, God will laugh. But he's not like that towards his people. He cares desperately about hurting people. Luke chapter 12 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore... Ye are of more value than many sparrows. So God does care when we hurt. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So there is no reason for us to think that when disasters are happening, that God is up in heaven going, Oh, this is good entertainment. Not at all. We have to understand there are forces going on bigger than just an event. There is stuff leading up to, there's the, the, the result of Adam and Eve's sin that's still being reaped today. And so all the hurricanes, the storms, earthquakes are a result of sin. Now, sometimes we can say that God does bring judgment, but God does not laugh when innocents are hurt. What about the fact that he says that the world belongs to wicked men? Is that true or false? Feels like it, doesn't it? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's false. Sorry, what are you going to say, Nita? Thank you. So, now I know that the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, uh, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them which are lost, uh, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them that believe not. So, yes, there is a power over this world, a dark power, but he's not in control. Who is? God is. So when we look at very powerful people and they they run the markets, they run the, the finances, they are, they're not running it, there's the spirit behind them. But in the end, who's in charge of and restraining and controlling and manipulating the spirit that is controlling men? God. Amen. 
Job is having a hard time concluding that God is still in control. He says, God, you seem to have let wicked men run this world. And if you ever, if you ever were on the receiving end of a Hitler, you would believe that too. There are some wicked people, aren't there? And there have been wicked people throughout history that seem to have gotten away with horrendous things. But the world does not belong to wicked men. God still is the God of this universe. He is God Almighty. He did not step down from His throne. Amen? He just stepped back, and He does not go anywhere He's not wanted. So when He's not wanted, when He is rejected and He pulls back, we're only reaping the condition of our refusal for Him to be in charge of our lives. Next segment. He says, there's no one, there is no one to go to inter, to intervene for me to God. Was that true or false? In Job's day, was it true or false? It was true. Let me tell you, can I, can I tell you? Job hoped that his friends would comfort him, that they would be somebody, he would say, pray for me. Supplicate, intercede for me, and they didn't. There was nobody, there was no high priest he could go to and say, is there a, an offering? Is there something you could help me understand? There was nobody he could talk to. Can I be real plain? Don't ever let that happen in our church where there's people who don't, where there's people who feel like there's nobody I can talk to. There's nobody I can go to, who I can lean upon. Job has no friends at all. Now there's one other person who had no one else to turn to, and that was Jesus. And he died alone on the cross, didn't he? But only outside of Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, we have somebody we can go to even if nobody else is there. Who's that? We can go to Jesus Christ. We can spend all the time we need with him. Go to Romans chapter 8. Hold your place here. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> I know the heat is on now, so if you go to sleep, I can understand, but don't. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 34. I'm going to get... Uh, Oh, Gavin, I'll get you. Romans 8.34. Condemneth. So, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and what is he doing for us right now? So, what does intercede mean? Say again? He's on our behalf, but do you have a, is there a way to explain that? What does that mean, on our behalf? Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. Say, Josiah, would you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 1? So what's an advocate? Good, but what if you're in a court? What is an advocate? Say? I can't hear you. Okay, no, an advocate. Let me help me. 
represents, but simple term, he's your defense attorney. And he's never lost a case. Our advocate, our intercessor, speaks on our behalf, but he persuades the judge. Amen. Do you know who Jesus can persuade that I could never persuade? He persuades God. I couldn't persuade God, but Jesus, the Son of God, persuades the Father on our behalf. So Job didn't have that. Job only had the future hope of it. But Job did not have someone who would intervene for him. We'll look at that again when he talks about the um, uh, the, the mediator, the daysman, daysman. Where do people go now when they feel spiritually in trouble? Where do they turn if they're not saved and not born again? Where do they normally turn? Hmm? I can't hear you. Alcohol. Good. They try to numb the guilt. Where else do they turn? What else do they turn to? Raise your hand because I got too many voices here. Marcus? They're friends. They pray to Mary. Isn't that funny? So many people go everywhere except to the one person who can actually intercede and be our advocate, and that's Jesus. It's very sad. He says another thing. He says, my days are swift and evil. Is that true or false for Job? I think it's true. I think for him, but let me say this, it may be how he feels, but it's only a season. How many of you have read the last chapter of Job? He doesn't die this way. Amen? And that's encouraging to us. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. Brother Tony, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. Okay, what's the key word in that just one scripture? To everything there is a... Now, seasons don't last forever. There's different seasons. And a Christian needs to go, all right, this may be a season for me. And it may be long, but it is not the end. And Job didn't know that. As far as Job is concerned, he's just waiting to die. He had no idea. He says, my days are only swift and evil. And you you can't get to that place where you're letting your heart decide that why go another day. I need you to go to another verse, Psalm 30 in verse 5. Psalm 30, verse 5. Brother Darren, Psalm 30 in verse 5. <clears throat> A lovely scripture here. Hmm. Isn't that a good verse? I think it's brilliant. Where it actually just says, you know, you may go through a night, a, a night season, and it's just full of tears, but there will be a morning, an M O R N I N G, a time where the sun rises again and there's joy again. So don't let your heart decide how things are when you're seeing things so darkly and hurtful. Job only sees his days as evil. And at that moment, that's all they were. That's all they were to him. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, when we looked at Job, 
Sometimes the best thing to do when somebody's going through a hard time is say nothing. Because you could just drive them further deeper, darker, and you just need to just pray for them and just be there for them because one of these days, the sun's going to rise and the tears will be gone and joy will come back. Job didn't know that. So I say, that's a false... Can you imagine, what would Job say to somebody who says, I believe God? He says, yeah, right. Well, life is only full of evil. That's not a great doctrine. Number six, he says, I obviously have worked hard at doing right for nothing. Is that true? That definitely is false. Definitely is false. Um... I thought I had one there. Anyway, um, Galatians 6, 9. Does anybody know that one? That's a good memory verse. And be not weary in well... Go ahead, finish off. So we shall reap if we don't quit. So Job says, I've tried to do right, and he had. And he says, and it's been for nothing. And that's not true. Whatever you do, it ought to be right, knowing that you'll reap, you'll be benefited if you faint not. So don't be like Job sitting there saying, well, it's all for nothing. He goes on, number seven, we're almost finished. He says, no matter what I do, I'm cast aside in a ditch. Was that true or false for Job? Had God thrown him onto an ash heap, Okay, good. Now you're looking at, but how did he feel? Okay, so he felt like, well, it feels like I'm cast aside. So how could you convince him that he's not been cast aside by God? It's tough. Amen. You know, I, I want to say this. No matter how, how organized, how godly, you get your life going, God has a way of still humbling and just stopping you and saying, okay, no. You're going to have to just sit there for a little while and you go, what did I do? Nothing. And what is he doing? Humbling us. Wow. Because God resisteth the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So what is the greatest work that God does on us? Not blessing us, but humbling us. So Job doesn't understand that. Job is struggling and he says, God just threw me away. Well, I know God can throw people away, meaning that they become useless to God. They become uh, uh, stubborn or whatever. And God has to say, I can't use you anymore. But that's not what's happening with Job. He's saying, I didn't do anything wrong and yet here I am. And I've been cast aside. Let me tell you, if you ever experience that, hold on. Because it's there that God's trying to teach you something. David says it four times in the book of Psalm, in, in Psalm 119. He says, it is good that I have been afflicted. That's a terrible word, but it's true. He goes on, he says, number eight, God is not my equal. I wish I, wish I could just go head to head, eye to eye with him, toe to toe. But he's not my equal. Is that true or false? Oh, that's definitely true. You better believe it's true. So, what can we learn from that? 
I mean, if you have this idea like, God, I wish you were like a man. Now, this is great. Follow this thought. I wish you were a man so I could just talk to you, so I could just just relate to you. God, I wish you were a man so that you would know how I feel. I did God become a man. Isn't that cool? What Job is wishing, I wish, I wish God was my equal. Not that he was wishing God to only be a man. But isn't it funny how God writing all these things down, he says, boy, just wait a little while. I'll be down there soon. God became a man so that I can relate to him. He understands what it means to be misunderstood, to be hated, to be spit upon, to be rejected, to be made fun of, to be mocked, to be blamed for things that he didn't do. I think this is breathtaking, folks. He says, I have no daysman or mediator to help me. Was that true or false? It was true. There was no one that he could pray to to intercede to him for God. There was no one he could go to. There was no high priest. And, and that was, that was, that was so sad for, for, um, for Job. But isn't it sad for our world today? The practicality is most people are going to marry. Most people are striving, trying to find somebody who can put a good word into God for them. We do have a daysman or a mediator, and his name is Jesus. Last thought. He makes the conclusion, he says, I only, ha- I have only fear towards God. Hmm. Should you only have fear towards God? And it's false, man. It is smart to fear God, <clears throat> but Job felt terrorized by God. Um, but do you feel terrorized by God? Look at your, look at your life. I feel pretty blessed by God. But your circumstance, when everything falls apart and everything's going wrong, you may think like, God, you're scaring me. God, you're terrorizing me. I mean, it describes, he says, it's like you're choking me. You won't let me breathe. We need to have the right kind of fear of God, fear of his chastening, fear of being caught in sin. But what's the other balancing attitude that we should have towards God? Love. Love. Perfect love will cast out what? Fear. So anybody want to answer this question? Why should anybody love an omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, perfect, just, righteous, all-holy God? Why? Yes. Did you hear that? The only reason why I love this God who's nothing like me, who only sees right through me, who can destroy me in a heartbeat, has no need for anybody, Has uh, there's no way to question what he does. The only reason why I can love that kind of a God is because he first loved me. It's unbelievable. Job didn't know that. Don't you glad you know it? Aren't you glad you know it? Never take what you've learned, what our children learn, for granted, because for a longest time, a lot of things, when you're lost, these things are overwhelming. These questions are just killer, like, Seems like God hates me. Doesn't seem like it. It's not true. All right, conclusion. <clears throat> what is the difference between Job's understanding of God and our understanding today? What's the difference? 
or what makes the difference, let's put it that way, the Bible. What difference does wrong theology make? And I made these statements. I wrote these things down. If you have the wrong idea of God, it will affect your attitude about life and especially suffering. If you think God is cruel, suffering becomes cruel. But if you think God is good and, in, and, and has a plan and is at work making something beautiful out of your life and making something that's for somebody else's salvation, you'll put up with suffering. Do you, make, do you see the point? When you have the wrong idea about God, it makes life unbearable. <clears throat> really, wrong theology is Satan's work to get you to give up on God. If you start to make the wrong conclusions about God, is to get you to where Satan wants to get you to where you curse God. Listen to these words back there in Job chapter 1, verse 11. It says, Satan says to God, he says, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. What, what is Satan counting on? He's counting on that when trouble hits Job, Job will not understand God to the place where he'll start to blame God. Now his wife exposes the fact that Job does not blame God yet, but you get in here and you hear him start to blame God, he says, God has made me bitter. Wow. Can you imagine sitting down for a cup of coffee and you sit down with Plune over here and say, hey, Plune, how you doing? I'm bitter. He says, everything okay? No, God has made me bitter. How are you going to fellowship with that? How are you going to minister to that? That's rough, and yet that was Job. So, <clears throat> what influenced Job's theology? What was the main thing that influenced? It was de- it was not demonic thoughts going through his mind. It was what? His suffering, his experiences. Are there any churches that really promote experience over Bible? Yes. That's why experience is not our guide. <laughs> Only the Word of God. Do you think Job could have reasoned himself out of his dark thinking? Do you think Job could have ever gone, hmm, I probably am wrong here, I'm probably wrong there. Could Job have ever gotten out of the mess that he's put into his mind and into his belief system? Do you think he could have just come out of that darkness? No. He is stuck. Job chapter 9, when he talks to Zophar, he gets more stuck. He gets deeper and deeper in discouragement. So God does four things for him. Are you ready? Number one, he keeps allowing his friends to torment him. (laughs) Because his friends are actually the first line of work that God gets for Job to start going, wait, 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 wait. Maybe I don't have it all figured out because they don't have it figured out either. <laughs> so sometimes Christian fellowship has a way of helping us go, wow, we, we don't know all that we should know. Second thing that God does is he gently reminds Job of truths that will keep him going. You get through the rest of the book of Job, you'll get Job saying, but I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that's God. That's God bringing back to memory and I shall live one day again, I will stand and I'll see him. So God gently brings back to memory truths that keep him going. 
And God will sometimes, you'll be in the darkest hour, and the Holy Spirit will whisper in the back of your mind and in your heart going, I still love you. (laughs) And he'll bring a scripture to mind, and you'll go, okay, I can go another day. Number three, he brings in a special helper, a guy named Elihu, who has no axe to grind with Job. He doesn't come in and says, Job, let me try to hurt you too. Now, Elihu has got right doctrine. But Elihu's not the final answer. Even with right doctrine, a hurting heart doesn't get cured. God comes and speaks for himself in the end of Job. In the end of Job, God says, I'll talk to you now. And you know, there is going to come a day where we will all be in heaven. And the Bible says that God himself will wipe away all tears. And I don't understand it, but he's going to come along and he'll explain everything to us. Why did so-and-so have to die so young? Why did this and that have to happen? And the Lord will take the time, and he'll wipe away those tears. So just like God takes the time to talk right to Job, God will spend time just with you. That's what eternity's for. Isn't that cool? Father, we're looking into the deepest holes that any human could ever find themselves in. And it's only because we have a whole Bible, only because we take time to actually ponder and study and think about this, that we can actually get encouraged and say, wow, Job's struggle helps me and convinces me that Job didn't have the answers I do, and I have no excuse to have the same attitude as Job. And I pray you forgive me when I do have the same attitude. And that when you want to teach me in the shadows, in the darkness, in the valleys, I will let you. Because evidently, those are some of the most precious truths to be learned. I just thank you for giving us the book of Job, Lord. It's one of the most one of the least read books in the Bible. But without it, we would not really believe that you care. So thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.